I think if we, when we turn to our next show, we have a, a very opposite kind of situation. There's, there's no question that Hollis Taggart, that one is um, seeing uh, a work for sale, work that would be happier um, over your mantelpiece or um, in your um, Hamptons house or wherever, um, that this is um, the work of Bill Scott, Philadelphia-based um, painter. Um, and I, I wonder um, how much our feelings for this work are determined by the, the environment in which we, we see it. Um, it's, it's one of the, the glories, one of the beauties of the review panel is how we throw ourselves around the whole city and go from museums to sort of hipster Soho gallery to um, much more traditional Upper East Side um, uh, venue. Um, and the work just has to stand on its own or we, we take the work as it comes, as it were. Um, but I, I wonder, I mean, if we took these paintings out of their white gold frame, uh, leaf um, frames and um, if they were hanging in a, a Lower East Side space, sparsely hung. I think we'd have a very different, would we have a very different view of them? Are, or are they in the right element there? Because this is a very, this is a very traditional space, isn't it? A very traditional kind of experience. I've, I've often felt with, with artists who, um, I mean, here we've got a situation, it's kind of the opposite show of, of, of T.J. Wilcox, mm -hmm. completely, um, that, um, that you know, he he's very. Um, I mean, each painting is is uh, is so rich. When you look at it, you 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 there's a, a lot of pleasure to be had in just kind of figuring out how each one works. You know, um, at least there is there was for me. Um, and I've often wondered if, but but I don't feel that it makes that leap into into a discourse with contemporary art that I find to be kind of the most exhilarating thing that a contemporary artist can do personally, but mm -hmm. I do sometimes wonder if one were to take <clears throat> artists who, who perhaps have that kind of a, of a leaning and put them in a completely different context with different kind of work around it, how it would read. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I, I think, I wish that were done more. I mean, I know there's this whole thrust of putting an outsider artists in and whatever. I, I, sometimes I wish it was just a question of taking artists who really know how to paint, for example, like, like, uh, like he does, and, mm -hmm. and putting them, you know, in a, in, 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 in kind of a butting them up against things that are more, I don't know what those would be, but I, I, I'm mm -hmm. with you on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things that are more, you had me on the edge of my seat. What's the adjective? I don't know, just, just more edgy, or, more edgy, more, well, more, um, perhaps more experimental. Yeah. I don't know what the word is. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know whether it would work, but I, I, I wish it would happen more, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you could see just how, well, you could see a lot of things, I suppose. But What was your take on the well, show? The idea that I had of it was that it's, um, uh, there's, there's, nothing whatsoever abrasive about the work. And that really gets on your nerves, you know? It really does after a while. Um, I'm being a little facetious, but um, uh, there's no, um, uh, uh, it seemed to be no criticality about um, uh, what, what the idea of uh, paradise or Arcadia means. Um, uh, what if, it, if there's any relevance there to to um, uh, 2013? 
uh, what the connection is there. I, 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 in, on a formal level, on a, on a sheer painting level, I agree they're really beautiful. And there's one in particular in the office mm -hmm. called, uh, that I want, oh. called... Um, <laughs> Doesn't sound like you're going to get it as a gift. No, it's carry gone on. already. It's <laughs> called B, uh -huh. B, the B Loud Glade. Gorgeous little painting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, one of the smallest in the show. Beautiful. And it has real moxie. It has mm. a real Stuart Davis kind of moxie to it, uh -huh. that uh, and and toughness and abrasiveness. Uh, and and so as I walked around the show, I was thinking, well, is it fair of me to 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 expect that of this work? You know what I mean? Like, as a critic, you you beat the work halfway. You mm -hmm. try, or I do. You try to uh, 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 see what the artist is is driving at and and assess it on not their terms, but on a, on on. On a, on a on common terms, I guess. Yes, Joan, it's interesting that um, uh, Stephen is picking up on the lack of abrasiveness. Um, it, it, what struck me when I, my, my, my last thought leaving the show was, I've never been with paintings that are this noisy and main, remain polite. Um, uh, what, what? You're much kinder than I am. Okay, how would you put it then? I love to show it in complete shock that you had sent me to see this day. <laughs> and I walked out thinking, okay, now why is it that we're not critiquing IKEA furniture in the critique panel? Do we have any criteria left by which we determine what kind of work we can critique and what kind of work is uncritiquable? And for me, this work fell in the category of being uncritiquable. And I kind of, it made me despair for all its beautiful colors and romantic romp in Arcadia. And I felt like, do we, have we given up on the idea that art is a vessel for a thread of human consciousness? Well, I, 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 I yeah, I hear what you're saying, but look, <laughs> it seems to me the problem no for compromise. you. No compromise. No, there's no, we compromise all the time if it's in a sort of hipster venue and if it's, um, you know, uh, like, if, if, you, if you took those paintings out of the frames, A. B, if you hung them, if you only showed one third of the, uh, the works in a space twice the size. And third of all, if the artist left out about 30% of what he put in each painting, we would have no problem looking at those paintings uh, uh, in relation to someone like, Albert Olin, or in relation to, uh, if you, I think we would just have a totally different dynamic. Yes, but, they, but they aren't that. They aren't that. They aren't. They are what they are, and we saw them mm -hmm. in the context. And the artist is responsible for that. And I say mm -hmm. they're uncritiquable. And I don't. I don't think that you can suppose that you can make all these changes to work, and then it's going to be okay and acceptable. It's not that it's okay and acceptable. I think it's okay and acceptable as it is. But I think that I'm just saying that. Uh, you would be in more familiar territory and therefore feel more confident in offering a critique if you weren't uh, forced out of the, the coziness of downtown and to confront the reality that art is also seen in um, more traditional galleries sometimes and, and made with uh, different criteria in mind. And they're, and they're, let's talk about how they're made. Can we talk about how they're, how they're made and, and the sure. paintings themselves? I mean, I, I'm, I'm yeah. not that interested, frankly, in. Context. In the in, well, not in not in this not in the way that we've been talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say that they're they're uh, um, <clears throat> a lot more complex, 
complexly made than they, than they appear yeah. at first. Uh, the surfaces are really very, very carefully attended to. There's a kind of a, a, a masking. It's not just, it's not just uh, uh, planes of color and uh, contrasting lines, although that's certainly part of the vocabulary. There's a lot going on with masking and frottage and stenciling. Yeah. Uh, I agree that they're, uh, if it's fair to paraphrase, that they're over, overloaded, they're a little too ripe. But then, but then uh, I, have to, I have to second guess that criticism. They're, they're obviously, ripeness is sort of what they're about. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't uh, uh, share Joan's um, uh, aversion to the work. I, I have serious reservations about it, uh, but I, I think uh, they're very well, I think they're very well made. I think they're very well put together. Yeah, yeah. And there's some really cool I wanna, things, I don't, like the overlapping days where he's stitching the, <clears throat> stitching the, the verticals together. And, yeah. Um, but I think it would be really like a disaster if you put it next to Erlen. I, I think that was a, a strange choice to. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, well, Erlen is so conceptual and big yeah. and heavy. Okay, but really then there are, so okay, take some, some, some more. Uh, less known, say, provisional painters showing on the Lower East Side or something like that. That's, I that think I'm that going into galleries sometimes and seeing work that looks like this yeah. these days. So yeah. in, in, in Bushwick and in, you know, mm -hmm. some of the younger artists. So I don't know that I want to, I mean, I I hear you, but I, I guess I don't want to dismiss it entirely because it does seem to be something that, that has, has stuck around. People, um, people I don't want to say that I have an aversion. I think that's a not the right characterization for what I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. because I, I think they are beautiful, and they're formally incredibly accomplished, as you well described, but I feel like in their intention, they don't um, reach far enough, or they don't reach towards something that allows me to consider them in a certain light, and that's why I call them uncritiquable. Well, then, then this just shows up the severe limitation of our critical methodology. If, if, if criticism is something that can only be applied to um, painting by Gerhard Richter and the, and, and the such like. I mean, um, you know, it'd be great to turn off the phones, please. Um, that, that, that actually uh, criticism, you know, you go into the Barnes Foundation, you, you, you see Cezanne, and you see uh, door knockers. And um, that is kind of infuriating. But on the other hand, it's saying in a funny way, um, if you've got an eye, you, 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 you can make sense of this. You can, you can sort it all out. And I think um, um, we, we do have to just be able to go and, as Stephen rather nicely puts it, uh, meet the art halfway on, on its, on its uh, in its own context, on its own terms. What struck me, and it's... I think so. That, that doesn't mean you have to accept it as no, no. the premise of it or, or how it was no. put together. I, I like what Joan is saying, though, about how it's it's not critiquable, you know, in yeah, a funny way. I, I think that's an interesting... You know, I think, I think we can certainly say this is good, this is bad, or whatever, however mm. we want to do this on a really, you know, sort of base level. But I, I do think that critique, you know, in, in critical discourse that, that we can talk a lot about that with T.J. Wilcox because mm -hmm. he's, he is speaking to, to much, much larger forces. It's the strangest thing because these are so exuberant and really lovely in so many ways, but they're also not as generous in a certain way. Well, I they're mean, kind it's, of it's, and They're kind they? of self-indulgent mm -hmm. and, you know, um, 
that yeah closed or or, or, or speaking to speaking full, to full better than closed wait uh, full. Spe speaking mm. to speaking to a certain in a certain trajectory that is to the past you know speaking mm -hmm. to Matisse speaking yeah. to um, Cezanne yeah. and not speaking to the present is is I think a certain way of withholding engagement with with um, well it's interesting because I'm uh, T J Wilcox is very elegiac and this is et in Arcadia Ego, so that's potentially uh, very elegiac as well. But um, it seemed to me actually that maybe the arc Arcady that um, Scott is uh, referencing is the Arcady of past painting, um, that the, the techniques true, yeah. that have been exalted, I mean, the frottage was particularly striking. The, the uh, I thought, Wow, are these being painted in an offset way. How do these striations appear? So I actually asked and was told that he lays his canvas over uh, a sort of cardboard and then a carton, and that's how he gets that uh, strange kind of uh, 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 mandolin sort of uh, mm -hmm. effect uh, in in some of these works. But what what struck me looking at them, and here here's where I really take umbrage at uh, Jones' intervention, because I would have I was I'm ready to offer a critique of the work, and then when I'm told they're, they're not critiquable, I want to step back and say, no, I, I, I find myself wanting to defend them um, against the fact that they're not critiquable. So it's a kind of inherent contradiction there. If you, if you open the possibility that they're critiquable, then I say, I like this about them, but I'm not so sure about that. And um, my, my mood going around these paintings was of, of being of, of a, 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 a nostalgia for English painting of the 1950s. <laughs> that, that this, this really reminded me of painters who, when I was coming, first coming of, uh, to, to understand painting, modern painting, people like uh, Ivan Hitchens and Patrick Heron, thought, I thought those were the most interesting cutting edge sort of images. And then as I learned more, I learned that they, even in the 50s, were looking very much like the 20s and 30s. And so there's this sort of strange layering uh, stylistically. And then the paintings themselves are so heavily and strongly layered, um, uh, almost like um, uh, stage sets in a way. Um, it's interesting that, that we're at the National Academy and we have yeah, to show up. These you can know, hang I with mean, Resica, right? I, I mean, I, I think yeah. that's, yeah, I mean, mm. you're, you're walking through the show and you're thinking, you know, God, these are really beautiful paintings. And, mm. um, and there was something about the grouping of them together up there um, yes. of those of those painters that makes them way more interesting to me. I mean, I, I, I like them anyway, kind of, but the idea that, that, they're, that there's a group of people and that they're following this particular course of painting mm -hmm. is automatically gives them a context that, you know, I think is more, boosts them all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, let's, um, uh, we, we've touched on some, some controversial subjects there, the idea that uh, uh, art cannot be critiquable if it's, if it's of a certain idiom in a certain place. Uh, the idea of uh, the, uh, the the group the, the 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 solo show of new work that's as much about what might happen next as as what is happening now. Um, those are those are both very lively issues. And then two artists uh, of singular vision that we should uh, be thinking and talking about. So um, um, you can take we will take comments in 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 any order and perhaps the mix perhaps the. Uh, uh, the, the melding of discussion around uh, Scott and Pearson will eliminate the notion that either of them is not critiquable. Ooh, got to I, there. I just wanted to make one quick comment about Bruce's show. 
the, the what you called the photographic intervention was actually uh, because I, Bruce happened to be there when I was when I was there, but apparently it was the actual piece that he photographed in the actual environment and then later removed the supports. So it wasn't like it, uh, it was not like a Photoshop intervention, I mean, uh, superimposition, it was actually like a Photoshop uh, removal of, the, of mm. the supports. So it was actually in that environment. And the other thing that I wanted just, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, yeah. was to, the big question that I had, and I, I was kind of really impressed with um, the depth of thinking in the show, but the thing that caught me up short was when I first like tried to read the, um, the words, and there was a certain kind of re reward for like making out in certain ones what the words were, and then when I realized you know that you could just read the um, the the titles that I had no desire really to like do that anymore, and so I kind of felt like there was a little bit of a cheatedness from you know that 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 was like kind of a false reward of making out these words, which in fact were found text. It wasn't like some profound you know message from Zeus or something. But mm. anyway, that was. That maybe it would it would give us a more enjoyable experience if they were just called Untitled Number Three, and then we could find out that it says, um, um, you know, depression. Uh, uh, depression is not a flaw of chemistry. It's not a depression. Depression is not a flaw of personality, but chemistry or something like that. Yes. Next. Yes. Thank you. item of housekeeping, you made the uh, observation that we've frequently discussed museum shows, and I really don't remember ever um, discussing a single artist um, museum show uh, here. Uh, there was the Younger Than 30, we've discussed the uh, Biennial, but they've all been sort of uh, group shows or thematic shows. I, yes. I don't think individual. Yeah, I think we did one thing at the Guggenheim once. Um, a project space show, uh, uh, yes. but uh, it is Segal. Yes. Um, did we do Tino? Yes, we did Tino Segal, but we also did something in uh, one of the museums. Oh, in the in the Whitney actually, in the downstairs space, we did a, mm -hmm. an artist there. Um, but you're correct; it is a departure. Um, uh, as we mature, we experiment, like Bruce Pearson. Um, that uh, yeah, but I, I feel that the Wilcox was a piece. Well, the Wilcox was a piece, and that uh, uh, Wangechi Mutu is a young enough artist that um, the work is of of a body of is a body of work rather than a, a career retrospective. So we do, in fact, avoid career retrospectives as a policy, but we went for museum shows this time. Yes, thank you. Um, so uh, the idea that um, anyone wants to want to tell us something about Bill Scott and st stick up for Bill Scott or um, uh, correct the panel on, on Scott or, 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 on, or on Pearson. Um, when I heard Joan say uh, that um, Scott's work was unable to be critiqued, the first thing I thought about was uh, Howard Becker's uh, notion of reputation and how certain forms of art um, come with ready-made reputations. 
uh, abstract painting being one of them, um, two-dimensional uh, two surface panel painting being another aspect of that, um, and some of the formal elements that are um, basically already accepted as usable and functional. And so there's nothing to say uh, beyond exp an expression of taste in terms of Scott's painting. And so that leaves uh, you know, some kind of um, theoretical or conceptual background or some uh, relationship to the history of painting that we would want to talk about with those paintings. But the paintings aren't strong enough to make any um, discursive uh, assertion of difference. Um, and so in that regard, the paintings are simply well-made, well-designed, and not really worth talking about as much as just being with. And I think that's what you meant by um, those paintings not being able to be, in any real sense, um, available for critique. Right. So you're saying they're not available for a meta... So the gentleman there is suggesting that your comment is really that they're not available for uh, a category critique or for a meta-critique. They're only available for connoisseurial criticism. Is that... Is that that's I, not what I said. No, no, that's what he said. I don't think that's what he said. You don't? I, I think he just said you can't talk about it because the paintings don't assert anything. So you can't... We can sit here and argue about what Wangeshi's uh, work is asserting, whether she's for this or against this and so on. But with those paintings, I, I, I sat there for a long time and I came to the, I think Chris said it very well, there's no assertion there. There's no intention there in the sense that you could talk about what it is. You want to clarify that again, Chris? Uh, more simply said, um, the paintings, whether you like them or not, it comes down to a matter of taste, um, that there's nothing conceptual or theoretical to, to, to talk about with the, the paintings. They, you can address them from, a, from uh, you know, a formal perspective. You can say, well, technically, there's a, there's, you know, he failed here or he failed there. But th th that, those are kind of, that's natural. Those, you know, those errors or successes are a natural phenomena of painting. There's no painter that makes a consistent body of work that every painting is great. And, you know, no painter worth his salt or her salt makes paintings that are all bad. So at a certain point, you're just addressing the formal content of those paintings, which then comes down to, I think, more a matter of taste and where you stand. And I started off my original uh, comment with um, prefacing it with uh, Howard S. Becker's um, idea of reputation and how certain aspects of, he, he basically argues that art worlds are made or created by a series of rep reputations. So you have a particular genre that has a reputation. You have a particular mode of working that has a reputation. You have an artist that has, has a reputation. We could say that the gallery that uh, the paintings were shown in have, have a certain reputation, which you kind of addressed. You said, well, if we pulled these paintings out of this gallery and out of uh, the dressing that says these are uh, masterful works, would we enjoy them? Well, it's, it's hard to do that because even if you did that, you still have the dressing of a history of abstract painting, of post-war abstraction. Um, you still have the, 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 the notion of what can two-dimensional painting and panel painting do still. I mean, but those, those, aren't, those aren't conversations that that, paint, that that particular painter is trying to have with those paintings. He's just accepted formalism the gallery has accepted formalism. They, they've um, 
they've, they've swallowed yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but it sounds to be, a, with respect, like a, a bit of a dogmatic rant about formalism, because when we were actually discussing Wangechu Mutu, the 80% uh, of our conversation was connoisseurial, and then the other 20% was uh, considering political implications um, and whether there's uh, or ideological context. So I, I just don't think it's actually correct. I mean, you can you could do anything with anything. You can you we could we could have the same conversation. So let's, level of conversation let's, about. Well, let's have let's have an extra formal conversation about Scott's painting. An extra formal. Well, I think I think maybe the I mean I think actually that's that's interesting the point you're making. I I guess I had understood what you were saying. It's more about critique in the sense of. What, what this gentleman is saying, rather than a question of taste, or is this good or is this bad, you know? And I, but I also think it's unfair to say that Scott's painting doesn't leap the bounds of its, of its purely formal nature. I think, I think it, it, it's, it's actually taking a stand in a way, you know? I mean, it's taking a stand in relation to history um, and where he's positioning himself in it, that is, you know, sitting in, a, in an imaginary garden and, and closing off closing off the world in a way. And I, and I, so I do think it, it makes that leap. Whether that's an interesting leap or not is another question, but I, I don't think it's without that. And, and in that sense, I guess, uh, but, but I see what you're saying. It's not really, I think I see what you're saying. I, know. <laughs> I think it that I could like, I would like to just interject this here about the idea of uncriticable and that is I found that those paintings really raised a question for me about what are the limits of critique and what could what you could critique and in that sense I think it's, it was to me very interesting that you brought us to this space and you're like pushing the boundaries of where your, uh, you know, what kind of work is being looked at here? Because I think for our time, this is a really important question, and the 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 criteria for making critical judgments about works of art is in complete disarray at this moment. And so, if we can even entertain a question like that, I think it's really a a valid and positive thing. Yeah, but there's nothing that's more guaranteed to close down the possibilities of criticism as an organic activity. If one says that certain works aren't uh, pos uh, capable of sustaining critique because they don't fit into uh, a, a certain prescribed set of um, ideological questions about art um, that um, have taken over and are, are, the, are the popular discussion, uh, the popular topics for criticism, uh, so meta-criticism in the academy. So I mean, if, if you if you just um, are not even willing to allow uh, uh, um, a, a level. A level of formal discussion to take place um, as being sort of not really criticism, then precisely the the problems that you bewail will intensify. Yes, I happen to have one of Scott's paintings, and right. I think there's much more than technique. Please, is it, is it my con? Yes. There's a lot more than <clears throat> there's a lot more than technique in Scott's paintings. I've um, reached a certain age where I do live very much in the present, but it's very nice to go back into the past. So for me, nostalgia is good. The minimalists tried to change the world. Well, they didn't change the world. So going to the past is good. Um, he talks about Proust and how it affected him. And I went to listen to Alain de Botton at the Met, 
And Proust really did change the world. So going to the past, to me, is very important. Okay, thank you very much. The, the lady mentioned right at the beginning, I don't think it was heard by the whole audience, that she is a collector who, who lives with the work of Bill Scott's. Any, any, any more on this, the issue of being beyond criticism? Uh, or, um, yes? Uh. Uh, well, my one, one reaction to that for, from me was that uh, to, to say it's beyond criticism, that is a criticism, I think. I took it as a criticism of some kind. Thank you. The, the, the statement, right. yeah. Uh, the other thing I had, I mean, some of these conversations, I keep going back to Wanachi uh, Mutu, and uh, not to rehash anything, but I, I felt like something very big was left out, and that was that this was African art, and that African art traditionally has a, the real critique of African art is, does it work? Is it, because it was always, traditionally anyway, it was an art form that was meant to uh, uh, be in contact with ancestors, uh, to to be, to be possessed by a spirit, to have this very powerful, and, and, and it was always done by men. The artwork was done by men primarily. And here's a woman in the modern world, I think, trying to do that. And, and I think that women at, uh, in Africa especially are, are at extreme risk. And, and, uh, and we hear about here in, in the U.S., we hear about women in Congress trying to take, make, a, make their point and in Texas and in other places. And it's very, and I'm not hearing, uh, I know it, it, I go to the studio school and that it was talked about there. And I noticed it was two or three men who were doing all the talking there. And I'm not hearing if, is there any identity with, I mean, I'm not, I can't speak for feminism or anything, but is there any connection between women in Africa and women in, women artists or, uh, struggling with primarily men, male artists getting most of the attention. Is there any any connection there uh, from anyone? I mean, I think Joan hit on it a little bit, but I, I don't really. I mean, I don't. I can't carry it past that. But no, no, uh, that's uh, uh, the articulation of the concern is is of, of value. Um, thank you very much for that. Excellent. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, and see you on December sixth. Yeah, you did, you did. Yes. So, <clears throat> Bruce Pearson is an artist that I've had the privilege of following quite closely for quite some while, when, on an early visit to New York. Um, I was taken to his studio, I think he's one of the, not counting very famous old men like Alex Katz, people. He's one of the first artists I went to see and meet in New York. And um, I've really been <coughs> struck and mesmerized by what he does for, for many years. Um, it seems in this show that he's, it's, it's partly business as usual. Um, there's uh, the, these uh, works in the carved styrofoam, um, uh, ornate um, workmanship, um, uh, uh, wacky text um, <coughs> that uh, uh, is barely legible. 
um, and uh, but somehow present, somehow there, um, and they're Bruce Pearson's basically, uh, unmistakable forms. Um, and then there um, uh, seems to be a strong desire to move into a new space, into a new dimension, literally, uh, with sculpture and uh, um, theoretically with uh, architectural commissions. Um, and it's strange, therefore, uh, con uh, continuities with the first two shows we've been looking at, even though it's in a, a downtown commercial space rather than um, a museum venue, that um, it's, it's an artist sort of with a core message but spread out now in, in different directions. Joan, did this cohere as a show for you? What, what is your view on Pearson, and, and how does this show um, measure up to your view of Pearson? Well, first of all, I want to say I haven't had the benefit of following his work for many years, and I think when you have that, you always have better and deeper insights into what someone is doing. But I've seen a few shows of Bruce's, and I was actually really happy to see the kind of um, different... There's all this different stuff going on in the show, and I, I felt the work was rather uneven in many regards, but a relief to see him breaking out of those styrofoam paintings, which are very heavy in a certain way, and I do think they have their charm. The longer you look at them, the better they seem to be, but I felt like the move that he's starting to make here by cutting, like, instead of just cutting down a certain depth, he's now cutting all the way through different forms, um, shows uh, him moving in a direction that's inherent and been a part of his process already for some time. So it, it made sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, Stephen? There are at least three uh, things I think that, that, are, that are new here. One, uh, I believe, is um, there's a painting called Late Hour, uh, which is um, unless I'm not reading it right, entirely imagistic, in other words, no text at all. Um, there's a, a piece called Itch, which is a photo-based piece. Uh, the painting called Itch is in the show as well, but the, uh, there's also a large, unique uh, photo print uh, of that of That, that envisages, uh, envisages Itch, so floated on the East River, right? Yes. Like or suspended in suspended space, I would say, in sort of an indeterminate space. Uh, but the most exciting thing, I think, for me is the, the, uh, these uh, wild public scale mm. sculptural, architectural scale pieces of which we see just uh, uh, proposals or, or mm -hmm. um, uh, mock-ups, I guess, um, which have to do with, with language still. Uh, that's, that's, I think, Bruce's, uh, uh, you know, uh, singular obsession, language as a pattern, as, a, as one of in, in a number of inter interfering patterns, maybe, but as a pattern. And now that's becoming language that you, that you literally step inside of. You go mm -hmm. through this tunnel, which says premonitions, uh, and your caption, I think, was wrong. The caption on the spiraled and piece of nested curls is, contains real hard-won insights, mm -hmm. um, which presumably refers to the viewer, spectator, beholder, mm -hmm. uh, as they enter the piece and the piece contains them. So they're, they're, the piece is containing, at that point, containing real hard one insights. Um, would love to see these things built. Yes. Would love to see them realized. Right, yeah. I could uh, 
can imagine. Yes, Williamsburg. Are you talking about the, the, the one with the statue in it? that you, you said was, I can't remember what it's called, with the uh, statue with the headpiece. It's the statue of Tike, I think. Tuke? That, that has some text in it. That does, yeah. have it float, I think very lightly floating, yeah. but, but very much on the surface, not, it's not like dug in. That's right. Like the, yeah. with, and with if I'm image. not mistaken, um, there's a piece that's um, called Late Hour. Well, there is a piece called Late Hour, and if I'm not mistaken, that has no text. That's two or maybe three images, mm. uh, sort of, mm. you know, a, a black and white uh, images grafted together. So it has the same kind of uh, infuriatingly difficult, tantalizingly difficult uh, to read kind of quality. Like you can't see it all at once. You can only see one or the other uh, at a given time. David. <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I mean, that's there. almost as distracting as my coughing. I'm sorry. I have a checklist, but okay. the iPad doesn't want me to see it. Okay. That's, uh, I, if I'm wrong about that, I'm wrong. That's, you know, yeah. there's text in there and um, I didn't read it. Okay. Um, but I do, the point is that I, I do think that the, um, and then there's a beautiful light piece. Yeah, I wanted too. to say yes, something about that's, that. Yes, that's another departure. Yes. The, the, the layers and then the, um, the table with the, uh, a sort of lasagna of uh, language going on. I, I, um, I was struck by what, what you were saying, Joan, that, that um, sort of the weight of those pieces, um, that, you know, they're, they're really so delightful in so many ways, but you really get the sense that he's trying to get rid of that weight. Almost he's trying to throw off that weight. And I feel like in that- It's a relief, right? Yeah, and, and I feel like that inhale piece, I'm not sure that the whole apparatus works, but of course it's, it, it too is kind of a model for something he'd like to do. Like I was standing with someone who said, wouldn't this be great if it was in the atrium of a building and you saw that word materializing and dematerializing. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it was inhale Yes. It was so lovely, you know, and that it was kind of this vaporous thing. And I thought, wow, you know, this is so, um, this is so kind of antimatter in a way. Um, and, I, and I really thought that was, you know, I love seeing, it may not be totally resolved, but I love seeing an artist breaking free of, of something, even if, if it, it's worked very well, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of um, exuberance <clears throat> here for breaking free, but I, I, I think what he's... Um, breaking free of was itself uh, rather exhilarating, and um, I, I wasn't bored of them yet. So, yeah. um, me the, No, I mean, the, yeah, so the... the but evidently um, he but was. But they are, on the other hand, maybe he is. I mean, they are a sort of rather finely wrought product. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, to, to artists of a previous generation, say Chuck Close, for instance, comes to mind, that um, a Chuck Close... Well, close, closest language has certainly evolved, but um, there is a close strategy, and then, then that's, that's what we expect and that's what we get. So in a way, the, the Pearson is in that position, but he's, he's also, he's not deserting it. It's, it's the, the open lattice is, seems to be a logical extension of the styrofoam. Well, I think, I think it, was, it was a really virtuous, it's a, it is a very virtuoso show in the sense mm -hmm. that you're seeing what he does best, mm -hmm. and and he's also giving you a presentation of what's what, what he's what he's next. thinking about, what's coming, yeah. and I think that's a kind of a brave mm -hmm. and a good thing to do. And I still get really psyched when I stand in front, like the white ones, just mm -hmm. always blow me away. You know, the white, the white on white um, are just always so beautiful to me. So they always seem to me like um, uh, like Jasper Johns on steroids. They're they're, they're dealing acid. with. On acid, yes, yeah. maybe acid. Yeah, no, I think steroids because um, 
they're, 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 they're structured. Ah, both. That's an issue. Um, they're structured. Um, they're about language, and they're 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 teased. They're about their own fussiness in a way. I mean, he's a very Brooklyn artist, even though he's showing in Soho. It's it's that's definitely the pierogi aesthetic, isn't there? And the what is that? I, the pierogi aesthetic. Yeah, what is that? Uh, well, it's nothing to do with dumplings. Uh, it's it's well, it, a Brooklyn aesthetic. Um, it's something that I it's something I once described in print as fuss and fiddle. I mean, so it's it's a it's a very sort of termite kind of um, energy in the work. There's no getting away from that. It's um, I think that if you don't like it, you don't like it. But it's it's so very much there in in the modus operandi, and yet you you can also stand back and get this get it to cohere as a gestalt. Um, um, again, like Chuck Close, funny enough. Um, and like Chuck Close, if I may jump in here, they're, yeah. they're very sensitive to viewing distance. Uh, this one called um, Who Doesn't Want to Grow Up to Be a Princess or something. I have a couple right. different versions of that. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have. Oh, I do. Yeah, there's a colored one and a white one. The colored one it reads, um, and who hasn't dreamed of growing up to become a princess? That's There's a right. white version and a colored version. And the colored version is, it, to, for me, illegible at close range. Um, but from across the room, it's, it's clear as a bell, the, the, the text. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. And, and so I had, wanted to draw that connection to close, you know, who's <clears throat> for whom viewing distance is also a Yeah, point. especially with close's new touch. With the, the new things, the, the, yeah. The, the post-illness right. touch, the much bigger forms, which but I think, Bruce is, a lot more, I think Bruce is a lot more interesting. Just right. to be you know, a little we, bit of a devil's advocate please. here, I think that one thing that happens to him when he starts cutting through the styrofoam is he starts to get a lot more tension within the work. And for me, after going to Wayne Geshimutu's show, which was so rife with contradictions, and I felt gave me a lot to think about as I left. You know, I was trying to wrap my head around all different kinds of things. I felt that. Bruce was starting to move into a territory where he had a lot more inherent contradictions within his work, and that was going to end up serving him well, especially if he could find a way to, um, in, like, install that inhale, as Yufei described, uh, you know, in some architectural setting. That that was because the the solid pieces, to me, they're lacking a kind of inherent contradiction in them. You can appreciate them as objects, but I don't walk away thinking about a lot of different things, and I seem to want to get that from what I look at. Yeah. The so solid pieces, you mean the, the paintings? That yeah. Are, yeah. Where they're filled in, where those are pools I, of uh, painterliness. I do think the inhale piece it works very well as, as it exists. I don't, I don't see that as a model, a scale model. I, I can very, very readily accept that as a work that has to do with drawing. I have to say I found rather unsatisfying the, the attempts to sort of float one of his own images in uh, the, the photographic um, ambiance of uh, what I think is the East River. The itch? Uh, the itch, itch yeah, the itch photograph. It reminds me of some games that James Hyde was also playing with, uh, putting his own forms in um, sort of uh, appropriated photographic landscape. I, I guess it's, I guess it's, Bruce Pearson working through the, the, the notion that, that his idiom could work in the social environment and it doesn't have to be in the, the, the precious white cube of um, uh, an atelier or a, a gallery, um, which uh, is an admirable um, 
aim, but um, uh, the, the, the clash of dimensions between his, uh, when, when he put his piece in a, uh, an imagined setting uh, was uh, kind of disturbing, it, because it took me back to realizing how very important uh, in his work is the, um, the artifice that, uh, of, the, of the structure that he gives us, and that it sort of has to work within its own artifice. Um, let's. I'm I'd agree with that. I think. I think it. When you go through the show, you realize that the four or five inches that he suspends it from the wall in the other room suffices, and he doesn't need all that other stuff in there. But I think it's. I found it refreshing that he would just hang that in there. It seems so at odds with everything, and I kind of appreciated that as sort of a. Yeah. Crazy gesture. The vibe of the show was rather like a small collegiate museum uh, exhibition rather than of uh, a commercial gallery with the latest offering of an artist uh, within his idiom. And that was unusual. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Um, I'm Marshall Price, curator of modern and contemporary art here at the National Academy. And uh, welcome to the November issue of the review panel. It's wonderful to see everybody. Um, before I introduce the moderator of the review panel, I'd just like to uh, pass along some information. Uh, you'll note that the next installment of the review panel is December 6th uh, with Becky Brown, Dennis Carden, and Raphael Rubenstein. So please um, mark your calendars for that. Um, I'd also encourage you to see the exhibition in our school gallery before you leave this evening uh, on the relativity of distance. I think you'll be uh, surprised to see what we have on view there. Um, next weekend, we have a special treat here at the National Academy. Uh, for the first year in its existence, the Academy is participating in Performa, and we will be presenting Callie Spooner's uh, And You Were Wonderful on Stage. It's the premier U.S. performance by a very um, talented up-and-coming British performance artist. It's Friday and Saturday evenings. We have two uh, performances per evening. Um, you can get tickets on the Performa website. Um, and we have very limited seating. So if you'd like to come, um, please make sure that you um, get your tickets in advance. And then on November 13th, we have an exciting panel, Painters on Painting, with David Diao, Carolee Schneeman, Julie Heffernan, and Alexi Wirth. And that's in conjunction with the wonderful See It Loud exhibition currently on view. So if you haven't seen that, please um, do so. Now, um, the National Academy is grateful to the New York State Council on the Arts and the Department of Cultural Affairs for its continued support of programming here at the Academy. And with that being said, I'd like to introduce the moderator of tonight's uh, review panel, um, the publisher and editor of artcritical.com, um, and longtime collaborator with us here at the National Academy, David Cohen. Please welcome David. Thank you very much indeed, Marshall, and to all the wonderful staff here at the Academy for making this program possible and for being such uh, uh, generous, um, visionary collaborators. Um, it really feels all the more gratifying. We're in, I believe, our ninth year now of the review panel, um, coming up for our 10th anniversary uh, next, uh, this time next year. Um, and 
it's just wonderful now to be um, really uh, nestled within such a vibrant program of uh, public education and, and debate and um, uh, forums of uh, artists talking about their work. Um, it's a, it's, it's uh, exciting to have um, seen the institution continue to evolve in vibrancy. So, um, welcome to the review panel. Please put your hands up if this is the first time you've attended the review panel. Ah, quite a, quite a number of you. Excellent. Well, welcome for your sake and also just to remind those who may have forgotten of our format. It is simplicity itself. We've, uh, we the panel and you, the audience, have uh, had the chance to go and see four exhibitions that really um, do represent something of a spread geographically and institutionally, venue-wise of um, art exhibitions in New York City. Um, we show PowerPoint presentations of two shows at a time, um, and then the panel discusses uh, the shows. Um, there's an opportunity for the audience to let off steam uh, and uh, share their views on what we've been discussing, and then we uh, repeat the exercise for the last two exhibitions. Um, it's my great pleasure to introduce my uh, guests this evening. On my right, uh, your left, is Faye Hirsch. Faye um, is an editor-at-large in Art in America, for a magazine with which she has a, a very long and illustrious uh, relationship, having been a senior editor in the past. Uh, she is now uh, taken on uh, a rather exciting educational role. She is the coordinator of the MFA program at SUNY Purchase and uh, that is uh, Faye Hirsch. Um, next along, uh, Joan Waltermatt. Uh, Joan is uh, director of the Hofberger School at the Maryland Institute College of Art, uh, and she is an artist and writer. As an artist, she had a show which closed last night at Schema Gallery in Brooklyn, and she is now represented by Von Barter Gallery Von Barter Contemporary in London. She's an editor-at-large at the Brooklyn Rail and a contributing editor at artcritical.com. Stephen Main is a stalwart and long contributor at Art Critical, but like Joan, he uh, is entitled to be known first and foremost as a practitioner. Uh, he uh, is, uh, uh, his work has been seen in the past at uh, Minus Gallery. He has a solo exhibition opening in the spring at 490 Atlantic in Brooklyn. Um, and he's also actually in a group show that's uh, curated by Kim Uchiyama that opens next weekend, Friday night, I believe, um, at... Uh, Thursday, I'm told. Thursday, Thursday. Open to the public on Friday morning, but to exclusive <laughs> people like us, we Good can go to the David. opening on Thursday evening. Um, the group show, Physical Property, um, at Brian Morris Gallery. Uh, here in the city. Um, uh, Stephen is also the, um, is also a, an instructor at the School of Visual Arts, and um, he's written for a great number of uh, publications. Uh, currently, he's most often to be seen in Art News and Artillery Magazine. A distinguished panel, please welcome them. I would just like to extend a thank you uh, and a welcome. I 
can't yet say thank you because he hasn't done it, but um, Isaac Durfel joins us as our new recording engineer uh, for the first 60 installments of the review panel. It was a gentleman named Graham White. And, um, but uh, Isaac is taking over, um, important role because all the uh, past, well, apart from a couple of glitches, most of the past review panels can be heard as a rather valuable archive, though I say it myself, at artcritical.com of podcasts covering now several, many score, some score, ex scores of exhibitions. Why are we using such archaic terms as scores? Dozens upon dozens of exhibitions um, uh, can be heard, discussions. I, I'm, I'm told by many artists that uh, it's a wonderful thing to listen to while you're um, painting. People used to listen to jazz or Mozart, but now apparently they listen to <laughs> Roberta Smith and David Cohen and Rob Storr and Stephen Main disagreeing on um, what's important in contemporary art. Um, and I don't recommend it. You don't recommend it? Well, I, I do. I do. <laughs> I once had the amazing experience um, when I first met uh, John Zuria, an uh, artist in San Francisco. He came up to me in a restaurant and said, you're David Cohen. I recognize your voice from the review panel. So um, you can have such an experience, too, if you tune in to artcritical.com slash the review panel. Great. Well, a certain sumptuousness of a, of a, of a, of a very different nature and uh, maybe slickness but of a very different uh, proportion in the very ambitious um, uh, physically and uh, intellectually installation of uh, T.J. Wilcox at the Whitney Museum of American Art. Um, Stephen. Loved it. Yeah. You were going to ask. I, I, um, um, I, uh, you know, my heart sank. I looked up, I saw the 10 projectors. I thought, this is going to go on forever. I haven't eaten lunch yet. What am I doing? But I was completely drawn in mm -hmm. um, about halfway through the first, first small f short film, which in my case was the, uh, was the uh, Empire State Building film. Uh, quickly, for those who haven't seen it, uh, there's a series of six. You have that view of Manhattan in the round. Uh, from the artist's studio, uh, says on the wall, um, and that's interspersed with six short, uh, short uh, films. Most of them taken mostly from found, found uh, films. So there's a piece on the Empire State Building, and uh, the the Zeppelin uh, mooring, uh, which turns into a, 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 a sort of a meditation on the Hindenburg and the end of Zeppelin uh, air travel. Uh, a short piece on Gloria Vanderbilt, one on uh, Antonio Lopez, the fashion illustrator. Um, uh, this is going around the room, and each film is aligned with uh, the view uh, from the from the the, the um, corresponding view from this uh, rooftop. And we, the audience, can be um, either side of the donut, so to speak. We can. Yeah, we the can pictures be were just it. from the outside. Um, that's yeah. right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I take it that the ideal viewing spot is in the middle of the donut. But it is, yeah. You, you know, you see the, the film from either side. Um, <clears throat> and um, also a film, uh, an interview with a, a fellow named John, who evidently is the building supervisor, who was talking about his experience at 9-11 and uh, observing the horrific uh, events of 9-11 through binoculars. So all the films become... Uh, in a way about um, perception and about optics in a way, about the camera 
or about um, uh, uh, a sort of mediated image. Um, and um, it's, it's a connect the dots kind of exercise, uh, but I thought it was really uh, beautifully pulled off. And if anything, I was, I was ready for more of those little movies. And there was more to be had, um, Faye, in the, the yes, side screenings. There's a whole program. It's, uh, it's the artist as curator, as instigator. It's a, it's a Gesamtkunstwerk, a sort of total work of art. Um, that the segments sort of adding up to, to something bigger than itself. But then in addition, there's the, the side room with the, the, the curated um, works drawn from the Whitney's collection, like the Florian Stettheimer, the Cornell, the Ouija that we showed. Um, but then this, you could sit there all day and, and um, for a day and uh, watch quite a, quite a rich program, sort of decade by decade, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about this show. Um, and now that I'm teaching regularly, I, I feel that this show is, is sort of the best of what art can, contemporary art can offer in the sense that, okay, here's this guy. He's got the 360-degree view of Manhattan from his apartment. So that is what he's seeing. But I feel like the way he stretches out in this to encompass not only the, the view, but also time, history, other artists, um, I feel like in particular the thing that you're talking about, the, the curated section of, of films um, where he selected a film from each decade to show, and they are marvelous films. There's the Helen Levitt, that famous film of the little children in East, uh, in, in East Harlem um, on Halloween. Um, there, there's the, um, an incredible Jack Smith film. Um, it, there's a way that he, he, he just extends the discourse so generously in time and space that it's not just a question of seeing all of New York, but kind of, of reaching to the whole art world. Um, and it gives you such a good feeling about what that art world can be, um, the kinds of connections that can be made, the kind of honor, the kind of honoring he does of not only his predecessors, but his contemporaries. Um, it, to me, is is kind of what art should be about, and not just about necessarily, and, and it's historical as well. So, f to my mind, it, it reaches both across. It, it's it's optically obviously quite ambitious, but also just time, space, and and a social, a kind of a a sense of of a kind of social commitment to to other artists and art making. To me, it just there's just no end of good to say about it. And yes, you could spend an entire day there and. Not tire of it. Yeah, the the uh, the historical layering of the, that uh, Faye refers to, Joan. Um, it often touches on uh, an elegiac um, aspect. I mean, it, it's it, certainly by ending with 9/11 and with the, yes, the very extended that in the, the there's the Orsler film in the um, uh, uh, in the side room and uh, within the donut, as, as Stephen has described uh, has has mentioned, there's John the the super um, witnessing 9/11. But then as we go back over the, uh, back into the time, uh, when we look at uh, uh, Antonio, we're, we're looking at um, an AIDS victim, a marginalized um, uh, illustrator, but I mean, I mean, a highly successful and popular illustrator, but it's the, it's the sense of, a sense of loss, um, and with the Zeppelin, the sense of loss, and with the, the Vanderbilt story, the sense of the mother losing the daughter. Um, Joan, is, is the overwhelming feeling uh, a melancholy one? I didn't get that, no. I found um, 
sitting there, uh, usually I can get really impatient with stuff like that, and I found I really was able to sit there be, just because of the way the whole experience was structured. And I started to think about how artists often try to create something that in its form, it mirrors the way that we perceive and remember and experience the world around us. And I think by sitting inside of that donut and watching these clips, you get a beautiful sense of that. You, it's like you have these little, uh, you know, I remembered stories. I never knew Antonio Lopez, but I certainly heard plenty of stories about him when I first came to New York and all of these other um, little vignettes that have been described. They came off to me like little pockets of your own memory and of like the collective memory of New Yorkers. And so it did feel in a sense like a kind of love letter to New Yorkers, but mm -hmm. it was so beautifully done and so um, poetically edi uh, edited that I was totally captivated. And I found there was a kind of generosity in his work where you could sit there and look at these things and there was time to take in everything he was trying to give you, but there was also time to take in your own response to what was being shown. And that seemed like a very rare kind of experience these days where we're often just, um, you know, the onslaught of information and images wipes out our own response to things while we're seeing them. Yes, that's, that's incredibly sensed, beautifully put, Joan. Thanks for that. Um, and it's a you know a tribute to him that he pulls it out. Now, um, I think there's I a consensus. There's a consensus here about the the generosity and the richness of the show. But uh, Stephen, uh, I I I feel that um, he his his work is a curatorial work. That um, this is that the a floor of the Whitney has become sort of what the Queen's Museum sometimes feels like in a way, but done with incredibly more taste, because it's been done by an artist. Um, but it's this, yeah, this, yeah. this historical layering, this time to examine yeah. vignettes, different aspects. It, it really does feel like it's adding up to something. But is it, it's, it seems that he's a, a, a very a strange mix of being um, the, the, sort of the, the sort of artistic or curatorial dictator who can bring all of these forces to play and an incredible modesty that we don't walk out with it with a, a Wilcox view of the universe. We're just left to, to put the pieces together and, in a way, have learned something about New York and have our own new Our views. own view of the universe. Yes. Yeah, I think it's, I but think that's, it's, that yeah. we don't really expect that from artists, do we? We, we expect, we hope we get that from a good curator, but uh, we, we usually want a little bit of overwhelming egotism from an artist, don't we? Um, I don't know how to answer that, so I'm going to say something else. Okay. Um, I'll just say no, no, no. Um, the, along the lines of the modesty yes. of Wilcox, Wilcox's modesty, um, uh, and I and I like the idea of the the, uh, the the plugging into a collective memory of 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 the art world, but I think specifically New York. I think Joan is right. It's, it seems like it's a very New York centric piece. Um, uh, in the Antonio Lopez piece. Um, uh, I think where where the where the Wilcox piece crystallized for me is at the end of that Antonio Lopez vignette. There's a, a he notices Wilcox is recounting his experience of looking at some photographs of uh, from Lopez's studio, and he notices that in the background of one of these candid shots mm -hmm. of one of the models is the same or very nearly view 
of, uh, of Union Square, of a building off Union Square, and he realizes that his studio, uh, Antonio's studio, was, was uh, in, the, in the next building. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for me, that's where it, the whole piece kind of clicked mm -hmm. into focus. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I thought, well, this is really about uh, um, uh, finding, one's, finding one's way as an artist, finding one's way into the art world, uh, finding one's way in the world, um, um, and um, so that's that's kind of what I'm coming away from it with. I don't know how to answer your question about the egotism of the artist. But I've heard about that can stuff. I, can but I, can I, I talk to speak to something? Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Stephen, because I'm with you on that. That's where that that whole piece comes together. Is at the that end of that an, Antonio the, yeah. at that end of think? that Antonio video. Yes. But but can we can we just backtrack backtrack a little bit mm -hmm. from that, which is that. Earlier in the video, um, he, he talks about how he, and by the way, the whole thing, well, you know this, but the whole thing is silent, and it's just, it's just captions, which I also found the sheer quietness of that piece to be just so elegant and beautiful. But um, if you backtrack a little in that, in that little film, he says when he came to New York in the 80s, he had an idea of what New York was going to be. And he arrived in New York in the 80s, and all of a sudden, he found that everybody that he ever expected to be his mentor, or the people that he admired, were dying of AIDS. Um, mm -hmm. And Antonio, of course, was also um, fell prey, prey to the disease, and he died as well. And that sense, uh, what, what he's saying at the end is that, is that he, is that he lost so much. He came to a, to a city that was absolutely devastated, and that he then, when he found that view, it kind of reminded him that there was still, he was connected in this way. Um, he was connected to Antonio and he was, and, and that the, the art world really was still there, the world, the world of New York, the creative world of New York. And that's just what I want to say is that his, his view is so, per, he makes it so personal at the same time as he's plugging into these very major issues, historical issues or whatever, I think it's that the the, the per, you know the you know you were talking about the sort of political what how does that how could Wangechimu to open up a little you know and I feel like the way Wilcox does it is that he makes it all so incredibly intimate and personal and tells you this this very you know this very personal story and then suddenly you are opened into this giant view of what art can be and what our lives can be today, our creative lives can be. Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, um, I'm still not getting this the issue, though, of, well, no, I think Is I that am. ego? Ego. I don't think ego matters, really, no. uh, uh, in, this, in this instance, other than to say, yeah, he, he sets up for us. He's, he, he lays out, in a, in a rather subtle way, um, the ingredients for us to make our own meal, but um, there and then there is a, there is the hint of what the meals should taste like from the ingredients that he's gathered. Is that is that the way it is? I, I mean, would never put it that way, but I mean, it, <laughs> but you will. But what you started to say, Faye, about the and Stephen, you you launched us into this, which I think is really the important point about the piece is that. When he discovers that connection to and where Antonio's studio is, you mm -hmm. feel connected. You feel connected mm -hmm. into the mm -hmm. whole network that he sets you, up. You, and into and his he, view. And, and he gives view. you that experience of being connected. And that's like a gift. And that I think artists, in order to be able to do that, they have to like put their ego on the back burner because 
in the end, there, it's it's something else that's going on, and it it's a, it was a it, beautiful thing. And there's a strong sense that Union Square is yeah. a place of labor, and that um, that he's laboring at, in his studio. This is a view of the whole city, and then then the, we're taken to these these moments, these uh, the, the, the the sense of the Empire State Building serving as a Zeppelin port, or the sense of uh, even the, maybe the Vanderbilts was a little bit of a slightly sort of camp detour in a way, but um, uh, most, of, most, of the, most of the stories, and especially Antonio really, was, was, was a sense of um, working people, uh, artists as workers rather than artists as um, special or privileged people. But, but, but before you, you, you diss the, the campiness of the, of the Gloria Vanderbilt piece, mm. I, I think also that his work all of his work is very much about this kind of sentimental, overly sentimental, somewhat melodramatic, sometimes operatic, mm -hmm. uh, very gay sensibility, honestly. And I feel like that is also a way that our emotions get played on in that. And so we are not left with some kind of an arid discourse about, mm -hmm. about this sort of thing. But, but in fact, we're, we're played on emotionally. Mm -hmm. And what you were saying, Joan, it's like, it's true. And then suddenly the view that you're sitting in the middle of is your view. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's no longer his view, it's, it's ours too. We've been touched emotionally by this. I yeah. think that's masterful. It is, it's amazing. Mm. Yes, yes. But it's, it's, it's in a way sort of presenting a, a secret history of the city, it's almost something, um, the surrealists had this uh, notion that there's some secret passage you could go through any number of doors and uh, within apartments and, and shops and buildings without ever having to go in the street. You could cross the whole of Paris by just finding this mysterious trail. And in a way, I felt like that was going on with this piece, that uh, you have this in the round 360 degrees of panorama, but when you've got these displays coming up one by one with these stories and in different periods, that somehow you could, you could, could pass ghosts on the way around the city. Well, I'm trying to work out how the vision thing works into this. Do we have a little bit more time for the yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, we vision, do. Because it's, uh, uh, it, as Faye points out, they are silent. This isn't a multimedia presentation. The, the, the films are silent, so we're reading the caption. We're not hearing it. Uh, John, the super, discusses, uh, he wishes he never got those binoculars. Remember the mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, he sees the bodies falling from there. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, with Lopez, it's the view out the window. With Gloria Vanderbilt, he makes a point that she was, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a epically photographed, a, a, a photographed um, um, by everyone throughout her life. So the camera plays in there. Even the Warhol story about um, launching the um, silver balloons from the roof of the factory yeah. as Pope Paul VI drove by. Um, the phallic balloons. The phallic yes. balloons, okay. Um, uh, at, at the moment that uh, I think it was Billy Name took the photograph. There's something, there's something, and I haven't figured this out by any means, but there's something buried in there about, about uh, photography in particular, but, but visuality in general. Uh, mm. And it, you know, we're, all, we're all connected and it's a collective memory, but I think that something about that, uh, a collective memory rests on, 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 um, on optics or photography because it seems like a very strong mm -hmm. connective 
tissue, connective uh, strand that All runs right, through yes. everything. He, he did talk about that. You know, I interviewed him for for uh, Peace and Art in America. Um, he, we have this feature called Muse, where the artist talks about what's inspired them, and he, you know, and he talked about actually how he he that it really is very important to him in this piece. The idea of what do you see? That that's mm -hmm. what he said. He said this is the most important thing, and that's why in the back you have the. Um, Felix Gonzalez Torres, the mm -hmm. sand. Mm -hmm. um, he, I mean, do we know that that's New York? I don't know. But the point being that he said, you look down and you see the, the traces of the person in the sand. What do you see from wherever you are? Mm -hmm. That is extremely important right. to him. Um, he didn't speak about photography, but he did speak about that. Um, no, it's enough. I think it's, it's yeah. enough if there's this sort of violin that runs through the whole symphony, you know, that sort mm -hmm. of ties things together a little bit. I don't know that we, that it's necessary to um, yes. nail it down maybe any more than, than we have. Uh, some instruments, instruments can provide texture rather than, rather than uh, melody. Correct. Well, um, audience, let's um, deal with the shows um, in reverse order than the, as we discussed them because the Wilcox is most uh, vivid in our memory now. So let's deal first with T.J. Wilcox at the, uh, at the Whitney. Any, any observations, comments, queries about, yes? I just happened to, just, ha just happened to see it today, incidentally, and um, was really annoyed by Madonna yelling at me all the time, so I left. I'm sorry, I'm not hearing you. Yeah. Can you? Sorry, is that better? Okay. Yes. I was really annoyed by Madonna yelling at me all the time from, from the side room where the screenings were. And um, I think it's really important. You were, in, in the previous discussion about the previous piece, you were very detailed about textures, how it's placed in museum and all that. And I think the way it's presented there is really awful. I mean, it's, it's impressive, it's a big screen, but I've seen that 20 years ago. Um, if this is a silent piece, why not allow it to be silent? Um, and I was really annoyed by the, uh, the building, the construction noise in, in the museum, by the noises from the screening on the side. So I really had to leave. I couldn't really appreciate it, although it's a nice view, but um, it felt very um, believing. Right, too much contingent noise. Okay, thank you. Other views as to as to the meaning of the work, or are the 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 role of the artist, the ego or the egolessness of of this piece, uh, the elegiac, the uh, the optical, the visual. Uh, we raised issues. We didn't, as as Stephen said, we didn't nail it. So perhaps um, if someone in the audience would like to nail it, then uh, or at least add an instrument. No, or okay, let's let's think then of. Uh, Wangeji Mutu. Uh, let's take ourselves back to Brooklyn and the dark continent of Mutu's work. Oh dear. <laughs> well, in quote, <laughs> quote unquote. Uh. Do, you, do you see, uh, when I saw her work, for me it's very um, similar to Rakib Shaw. Do you? What, sorry? Raqib Shaw, an Indian artist based in London. I don't know the word. Raqib Shaw. It's art. 
Oh, Rakib Shaw. Yes, yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Do you see similarity between these two artists? Any panelists see a similarity between uh, Rakib Shaw and. Um, no? But. Um, Perhaps uh, you do. You do, so tell us what the similarity is. <laughs> and. Um, uh, I know the name, I just can't visualize, I can't bring to mind a Rakib Shaw piece. Okay. Um, describe, just quickly describe a Rakib, typical Rakib Shaw, and perhaps we'll flood um, back to our minds. For me, the, the visual um, content, content of her work is very similar to her. The relationship between the elements and, um, and the um, creatures themselves. Um, he is more detailed um, and I think more strong. Um, I think it's best we all go away and have a, a look at Rakib Shaw and then have him in mind next time we think about Mutu. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, quite a few hands going up on the uh, Wangeji Mutu subject. Um, I guess the question I had in, in general is that the in most of the collages, the, the, the figure, the contour that contains all the disparate elements is very uh, provocative. The pose is very provocative, very solicitous. That, and that's, the, that's the outline that's containing all these various elements. And I guess I wondered if folks wanted to talk about uh, the relationship between those two. Between the, the contour? The, the provocative solicitousness, sexuality yeah. of the outline of the figure, and then the fact that, I mean, not a lot of attention was paid to that aspect, more to the uh, grotesque sort of conglomeration of elements, whether they're technical from foreign body yeah, parts. Yeah, there's seductresses mm -hmm. in some cases. Mm -hmm. There's that one uh, piece. Lots of leotards. I actually uh, issued a, a, a challenge on Facebook that nobody met. Luckily for my budget, I said I'd pay for the admission of anybody who came as a Wangeji Mutu. But uh, I don't think anyone did, so I saved myself six dollars. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, s sexuality. And what, what's that? What goes, what goes against that? What's the other thing? Is there one other strong element that is uh, the opposite of sex? Um, well, I, I the broken I bodies. I think I understand your question, and that is the the imagery that of the collage that makes up the bodies. We didn't talk about that, and there's all kinds of th like motorcycles and it, it, just a vast array of well, collage imagery. A little bit. We didn't resolve the issue, maybe, but we were saying it doesn't seem to bring the baggage, or else we're thinking about it in synthetic terms, as, as synthesis terms. Yeah. Well, how does the fact that the, the overarching image is one of sexual provocation and uh, mm -hmm. solicitousness? You know, I mean, yeah. talk about, I mean, how to have both in the conversation at the same time. I don't think she's got the balance there yet. I think that the, the provocative nature of the images kind of trumps the imagery that they're composed as. So you don't, as I looked at them, I didn't 
regard that with a great degree of seriousness in terms of what she was getting at. I don't know, maybe somebody else has That's another thought. That's interesting. So it was sort of like a default, um, a default um, uh, vocabulary. Good. Yeah. You use that. Yeah, kind Default kinda. pose, a default, <laughs> um, you know, when in doubt. When in doubt, go to Playboy. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't agree, actually. I think she has got her, um, in the collage works, I think that's where she's the most uh, resolved and juicy, in a way. And she puts together these um, sensuous, voluptuous, provocative, strong um, female identities, and she then makes it up, Archimboldo-esquely, out of uh, a disparate array of uh, machinery and chopped up porn and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and um, it doesn't seem to really have a very heavy message. It seems to almost be that sensuality um, is, is a kind of social construct and that we're all made up of the same stuff. I mean, I, I think that it's a kind of an old, I mean, you know, so many, I feel like it's a pretty, she, she's making these into powerful women. You know, it's their sexuality. It's, it's, they're the ones who are wielding it. They're not these passive receptacles of the gays or whatever. Mm -hmm. I guess I just don't, I don't know whether it resonates so much for me any, anymore in, the, in that form. And by the way, I, I, mean, or I, I couldn't feel like, that. Depictions of powerful women. You know, being being sort of sexual a, and taking yeah. seizing their sexuality, and I'm going to get myself in trouble. No, I, I feel I, like I the think, whole. No, no, I think, I think um, that's a really interesting thing, Ted, because I think some some uh, strategies have a lifespan, run their course. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is an exhausted, an exhausted. Uh, no, I'm going to get in trouble. Well, but maybe uh, maybe for maybe for maybe for, maybe for one generation it's exhausted, but really, truth be told. Sex is never going to get exhausted. I mean, when sex is exhausted, no, 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 we won't David. be here anymore. It's, it's not. I mean, come on. No, no, come on. Micheline Thomas was there last, and it's it's. Um, uh, maybe I'm going to get into trouble, but maybe <laughs> maybe it's part of an appeal to. Uh, no, there are uh, among uh, in those two artists. Clearly, the allure, the the strong female is is not is a, is a live trope. Now. Uh, if, if, if to the intelligent art viewing public at large, um, strong women is um, a really sort of cheesy cliche, then artists should only be dealing with the strong woman motif if they do it ironically. And if uh, Mikulin Thomas and uh, Wangechi Mutu and some other artists, maybe Chris Ophelia you could throw in there, uh, well, no, actually, Chris Ophelia is doing it ironically. But if those two are doing it, quasi-ironically or not really ironically, then we have an issue. Well, well, it's funny because I, I, one thing nobody's mentioned here is that that entire installation is right next to the dinner party. Right. You know, and, and I found that to be actually quite resonant, that there were mm -hmm. those, that there was the dinner party, mm -hmm. the issue of food and eating and sexuality and the explicitness of it. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that was a really pretty cool um, positioning of that mm. of that installation and of course it also mm. shows that I mean does it what, what Stephen was asking before you know yeah it's it's to me it's 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 going through that same material again in a funny way and the question is whether it still resonates um, mm -hmm. 
I found myself, uh, in terms of the iconography, I found myself sort of fast-forwarding past the, the overall, um, sh you know, the overall composition and, th and noticing, and I'll give an example, the, the very first piece that you see on the way in, because it has a very long, funny title, um, and it's a, uh, which I have for you, the Once people. Upon a Time She Said I'm Not Afraid of, and Her Enemies Became Afraid of Her, the end. And it's a uh, sort of a hybrid figure, uh, uh, human, female human, and then a non-human. And um, uh, there are funny things like Ralph Steadman, little sprays of ink up in the on the wall, and and but and what what I became very fixated on in that piece was the apparent equivalence of uh, tribal sculpture. Her feet, or the, it's the reverse. Her feet are tribal sculpture, and her and her, her front feet and her rear feet are motorcycle parts or something like that. There's, there's an implied um, uh, equivalence between um, uh, uh, you know, traditional tribal forms and uh, these kind of uh, funny hybrid motorcycle-like machines. Um, and the equivalence is, is implied because they're, they both are positioned at the end of limbs. So um, that kind of thing was, was uh, um, that those kinds of puzzles were kind of more interesting to me. Right, right. I can take one more comment on Mutu, and then we will need to move on. And I can see it. Yes. Speaking of puzzles, um, I found one piece in there, and I'm not sure if it was part of the installation, but you did not mention the piece that was basically in the middle of the installation, mm -hmm. uh, of the show, that was a bunch of what looked like trash bags. They were up into garbage balls. bags, yes. But, but then, uh, and I could find no mm. caption for it and mm. didn't really tie it to any meaning. And I just wanted to see your thoughts on it. Okay, that, this, this, that seemed to me the most Ophelia ish moment in the um, show. And that uh, because is, they, they look like turds. Um, <laughs> and uh, that is a piece called Suspended Playtime. Packing blankets, twine, garbage bags, and gold string, um, and it seemed to me decor, really filler. Um, and um, yeah, so it. Um, but um, it wasn't bad decor. Uh, so that, that's. Anyone have any views on that? Nothing to say. No. About that piece. Okay. I. I that yeah. was actually one of my favorite pieces ah, in the in the oh, show. Yeah. Why were you running quiet on them? Why why? I was just wait, waiting for the moment. The moment. Well, the moment is here. Finally. Tell us why it's your favorite yes. piece. I felt you know uh, Stephen kept saying he feels her strengths are pictorial, and I feel that her strengths are sculptural, and I really like the way she uses the materials there. And I was reading those floating balls as kind of like um, dead souls or massacred you know, uh, indicators for people that have been <coughs> massacred. Um, and that came to me by just looking at the way the walls were painted and my feeling about that red line at the bottom being all this blood is being covered up and then, and then this, these balls uh, became very evocative for me within that environment. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess nobody else caught that, but that's what I saw. Okay, fantastic. We must, uh, alas, we must move on. Um, Let's dim the lights, please, and we'll look at the PowerPoint for our last two shows, which 
hope we don't have to overly abbreviate our consideration of. So two museum exhibitions of uh, striking ambition and scale for two very, very different artists in two boroughs. Wengechi Mutu at the Brooklyn Museum. I'm sure we'd all agree a really sumptuous, perhaps we wouldn't all agree, but I, I find it to be a rather sumptuous uh, exhibition, but also one that isn't afraid to tackle or at least raise rather profound issues, perhaps by its very sumptuousness. Um, Faye, what, what are your feelings about Wangechi Mutu? Um, okay, I, I, it's funny because I'm a little torn about the show and um, I, there were things I liked very much, there were things I really disliked and um, the thing that I liked the most, I think, was that video you saw the stills of, the animation. I don't know how many of you have seen it. The new animation, which reminded me a little bit of, of something that had been at the museum a number of years before, which was the Mariko Mori. Um, I don't know mm -hmm. if you saw that show, but um, the similarly fantastical um, uh, thing. But um, I was, um, you know, I feel like it's complicated. Um, I really, I really, they're incredibly striking things. You know, they're made so beautifully. They're these big collages. I don't, if you've all seen them, they're quite large. They're quite, as uh, David said, sumptuous. But for me, there's a little bit, sometimes a little bit too slick for my taste. And also um, going back to, I mean, this sort of historicism of them. To me, that, that can be more interesting sort of conceptually in the sense of, let's say, let's go back to Hannah Hoech, um, which I think they're quite, quite reminiscent of, um, back to these models of the 20th century. And what is the end that she's using them to? Well, it's to, in a sense, create a voice for this kind of post-colonial, um, the issues having to do with, with Africa and the diaspora. And, um, and I think in that sense that when somebody becomes somewhat histor historicist, it feels okay to me because I feel like it's, it's, it's being marshaled to, um, to, to new messages. So I, I was very struck by the sheer you know, technical proficiency of the show. I was a little put off by the slickness. Um, and, um, and, that's, and, and I, was, I really hated one of the videos, so, um, which was the one where she's wading into the water singing Amazing Grace, oh, which yes. I was just kind of horrified by. And, well, that's a very, that's a very early work, but it wasn't had the annoying effect that one had to listen. Well, to why? Yeah, but why, why have a why have an annoying, you know, early video piece of juvenilia in there? I don't know. I, I thought that was unfortunate, and I didn't much yes. like the middle video either, which was of the sort of Janine Antoni cake of the trick. the wild woman of the woods right. eating the cake. I, right. I guess I guess for me this kind of um, this kind of primitivist. Well, that's thing the that's is the issue. That's for that for me is yeah. I think I think. That is the, I think, the core issue of the show. I mean, she is um, exploiting uh, uh, primitivism is one word that one could use, or exoticism is a word that one could use. Um, and one wonders, she, I think, occupies a somewhat ambivalent space in relation to primitivism slash exoticism of seeming at once to be implying a critique of it, uh, and at the same time, actually deriving great benefit from it. 
Uh, are you troubled, Joan, by the exoticism of the artist or by the artist's um, own attitude towards her own um, characteristic? Well, I think you put your finger on something there that's, that's at the core of it. Um, I don't know if I'm troubled by it. I find what's really amazing about the show is that there's so many contradictions inherent in it that um, you leave the show wondering how could solicitous imagery end up being a feminist, represent a feminist cause? How could, how could somebody who's being positioned as the other um, create works with great resemblance to the, for example, Egyptian rooms that are downstairs, which, which are positioned within this uh, museum as the roots of Western culture? That seemed like, for me, the, the biggest contradiction. And I think that I, uh, in contrast to Faye, loved the eat cake video because I felt like it was maybe the most honest and um, I felt closer to the core of what she was actually about. I don't believe the, I, I found a huge contradiction between the works that I was looking at which seemed to express a real searching and desire for empowerment of female sexuality but I didn't buy that it was any kind of critique of anything. In fact, I, I felt that the relationship between what I was looking at and the wall texts that were explaining what it was were so at odds with one another that it became a kind of phenomenological experience of understanding how somebody is not being received. Yeah, I mean, we, we are constantly reminded, Stephen, that we're in a museum by these very preachy uh, labels. I quickly decided not to read any of them. But um, did you feel that uh, the the artist was being positioned uh, as a uh, the work as being some critique of uh, issues of sexuality or of colonialism, or did you uh, did you were you able to, uh, or did you feel it was a purely aesthetic statement? Well, you know, you scan those, or I scan those those didactics. I think they're called. Um, uh, to see um, if they're going to be useful, and and uh, I, I usually decide not to continue with them. And in this case, I did not. I was having a lot of fun uh, looking at the at the work without that um, without that intrusion. And and what I, uh, with a few exceptions, but what I what I came away from was um, uh, uh, one thing that I want to note is that her um, uh, the uh, Faye mentioned Hannah Hawk and and the. That kind of constructivist—you um, um, didn't mention this—but the, the the idea of the constructivists of having a very strong figure-ground relationship, where the figure does all the work and the ground is is more or less neutral. And I, I think it's um, really interesting that she's moving away from that. There seems to be more of this what we think of as kind of classic cubist uh, modernist exchange of figure and ground. But it's still very it's still very strong, especially in the family tree, which I was a knockout. If we can get down to cases here as far as the, the pictures are concerned, because I, I think her talents are primarily pictorial. Uh, and the family tree, which has, um, oh, I don't know what, eight, 10 or 12 mm -hmm. sort of Archimboldo-like mm -hmm. faces, yes. yeah. uh, except instead of being made out of food, they're made out of a variety of things, machines. She's very good at that. I think she's very good at, at, at weaving this sort of found imagery um, into, um, uh, and uh, into a, a, an, an image that, that is not dependent on the, the meaning of those original images. 
Um, but to answer your question, uh, it was for me, it was fantasy. It was like a futuristic fantasy, body mm -hmm. parts becoming machines, a cyborg was uh, sometimes used in uh, talking about her work. And that's, um, that's what I come away with, sort of a, uh, uh, um, a desire to, to reinvent, maybe this is a desire to reinvent the self um, uh, with, with no restrictions. Yeah, I, I, I like the fact that Stephen mentions Archimboldo because I, I feel that, yes, they go right back to him in, in that it's, it's more of a kind of, it's more of collage as, as, uh, as humor than as collage as um, deconstruction or disruption or subversion of, of the way we see the world. It's, it's almost a sort of a, 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 more of a kind of, even though there are things that, for instance, Sometimes the face is made up by of limbs uh, that pulled from uh, pornographic sources, but it doesn't have any of the kind of connotations of critique uh, that you might expect from such loaded materials. It just seems to be a sort of orgiastic sense of we're all made up of cells that are part of this uh, continuum of life or something. That, that's the way I, I felt it was a very um, upbeat kind of feeling towards the materials. Well, I think I think that that's um, that's true. I, I I like that piece also, by the way, Stephen. The, yeah, the family tree. I thought that was a really good piece. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see much humor in the humor in it exactly, but I but I do think that the I mean, there's sort of a long history of this kind of um, what you're calling orgiastic, but this kind of really um, this this you know opening the body up and giving it this kind mm. of grotesque and uh, the you know combining futurism and Futuristic, I should say, and and um, you know machines and whatever, and so and that the idea being that the body is broken up in this way and it, it's it's no longer one thing. And I mean, for mm -hmm. example, Nicola Tyson does that as well. And I'm wondering if it's not kind of an interesting um, route to take for people who mm -hmm. are the voice of the other or whatever. This is kind of liberating. But but on the other hand, is it is it really breaking through anything? I'm I'm mm -hmm. not sure. You know, I, I feel like it's 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 in many ways um, not all that surprising or Well I did did feel know. also uh, I don't know how you respond to this, Joan, but it, it did seem to me that um, um, and, and and one really I I one tries very hard to resist when you're looking at say an artist who happens to be uh, African to then immediately make comparisons with other artists who are African or of the African diaspora, African-Americans, say, because that's to push into a corner. But on the other hand, she's an artist dealing uprightly and forthrightly with, um, with, with, with the issues of Africa. So it seems inevitable that, especially in, in view of her technique, that, 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 that she so brings to mind sort of a Chris Ophelia meets Kara Walker in... Um, in the, the tropes that she exploits and, and the methods that she employs. So um, it seems that compared to those two, well, how does she compare to those two? That's the question. That's a I question. can take that, and I have another question. You have another question, but let me, let's leave that one floating, and um, okay. you, you tell me what's on your mind. For me, I, th I think that our discussion about uh, what what the significance is of, of her various moves and what the bodies and imagery means really brings up the question of how responsible an artist is for the kind of discourse that brings their work into uh, to a larger public in the way she, yes. she has. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in her case that 
she's kind of having her cake and eating it too mm. in a way that um, I'm not really convinced by um, the way that she's been ushered in. And I, when I see it, my personal desire for her is that she could, her work could be seen in a much more expressionistic way, that, that the, the fantasy elements of what she's doing would be brought to the fore and the critique and you know identity politics and deconstruction kind of analysis that has gone on about her work that really brought an artist like her to the fore would recede to the background because I feel that's where her strength is. And um, she, the only piece where I felt like she made an attempt to challenge the terms on which she's being received is um, when she took those blankets and started wrapping them around the corner and challenging the orthogonal um, space that her work was being shown in and, and started to make these trees or whatever where you know, she's, she's creating a form and then it, it goes over the edges and creeps out into the room. And there I felt like the artist's voice was stronger insofar as she was challenging the terms of just even the architecture that her work was being shown in that showed me somehow a clarity in the kind of position that she was taking and responsibility for how her work was being received. Yeah, those, those are, are new works almost felt like made for the show. I was almost wondering, Stephen, whether they were her work or whether the, the work, had, uh, whether the, the, the space had been prepared in such a way that, uh, uh, I mean, I quickly realized they had to be her work, although they weren't interestingly labeled um, in the show. They were on the checklist. The, uh, the, the I'm talking about the column yeah. and the, the kind of cork or felt kind of materials that are against uh, one of the walls. And um, uh, yeah, it felt like a sort of, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy who worked for, Guggen for Peggy Guggenheim, uh, um, Fritz uh, Kreisler. Kreisler. Felt like a sort of Kreisler. Felt like a, um, a transformation of the space rather than, it did, but it didn't feel like actually an installation. Yeah, I think her, I, I, I persist in believing that her talent is, is, is essentially pictorial. Uh, I don't think that the, the felt blanket uh, installation work was, um, uh, uh, it felt like an afterthought to me, uh, as did the... the uh, A decor um, to go with her work rather than well, the Well, yes, and, and there was also um, uh, something funny along the floor line of the main gallery where the the white paint stopped, and there was sort of a brown mud colored um, mm -hmm. thing along mm -hmm. the bottom. Uh, this is a kind of, um, uh, I think it comes out of a fear that the work is not going to hold up. You have to trick up the space. Mm -hmm. I do think uh, also about the, the audience issue, I think it's worth noting that Brooklyn Museum, a very fine institution, is uh, very, very conscious of their, um, of their audience, or the audience says that they would like to draw. And I think we shouldn't be surprised that they, they I don't know how this was presented at the Nasher, but I think we shouldn't be surprised that, that they position uh, Mutu in a way that will um, resonate with their, with their, uh, their, their audience, demographic. their target, yes. target mm -hmm. demographic. Um, I, I actually disagree that it, that it seemed like an afterthought. I think it's, um, I mean, we should remember that Mutu began as a sculptor. That's how she started and she, that never would have been done. She would never, there would never be a piece that was that sculptural in the show unless I think she had intended for it to be there. And, and I was very, I thought it was very much of a piece iconographically and emotionally with some of that work in the sense that it was this kind of wild growth 
you know, she was putting that figure in the woods eating the cake and the kind of, you know, nappy hair and, and it, I, th I thought it conjured up kind of a body and also hair and I, I actually, um, I, I really thought, I mean, you know, I can't say this is my favorite work in the world, but I feel like the, mm. the, the trees were actually of a piece with, with what she's trying to do in the, and, and, and I do feel like she was trying to break out. Um, mm. And I, um, and the other thing I just want to mention about her is that she has a very specific kind of relationship to African art. You know, she's Kenyan and she, um, not to get too historical, but she, you know, all of her relatives grew up during the Mau Mau Rebellion. And I think that that was an extremely violent and, and very much a, a secretive movement. I mean, all the violence was taking place sort of underground. And I think the kind of uh, way that those figures are both contained and violent, I, I think, sort of evokes that, um, that, that situation. So, uh, you know, like, I am torn. I feel like there's historical resonance in I, that. I really picked up on that, too, and it seemed to me like there's this kind of underlying or subtextual uh, historical trauma that runs through the exhibition. Yeah, there is. I was reading the, what you called the flood line in the, as it, it seemed to me like the, the blood had been painted over, the color on the bottom was like the color of dried blood, and then the, the walls painted over that, and that seemed to be... To me, this, if she was trying to evoke some of the horrors of the 19th century that she and her family had lived through, and I think this is certainly... Or the 20th, or the 20th, yeah. the 60s, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's post-independence. Mm -hmm. I feel like, the, I would like to see more of that in her work, and I would like yeah, to see I'm, that become more explicit. I think it would be um, much more compelling work if those kind of things were brought up from underneath and... and were dealt with in somehow a more conscious way. So Faye, if, if you are um, happy with the, the sculptural work and the, the video, what, which, what, is the, what is it about the remaining work that you find too slick? You know, I, I kind of find the whole thing slick, but I guess I'm mm. so torn about it because I feel like there is this, this history that she's mm. accessing and and that there's a reason for these things to be voiced the way they're voiced. Um, mm -hmm. And so I know it sounds like I'm equivocating a bit. Um, you know, I do, I do feel like those things look a little bit to me like, you know, the big collages, like big things that could be sold. I don't know. They just, it doesn't feel necessarily. Well, they are. I mean, they're, I know, they're works but of they, art. But I know, but I feel like they're not mm -hmm. critiquing that at all and that they fall into that just way too easily. Oh, I see. That, yeah. That's sort of what I, I it felt yes. a little... Are they trying to appeal to too many audiences at once? Well, that's the other thing. I mean, there's doodads, you know, uh, glued on there that are going to, uh, uh, some viewers will respond to, and, and um, um, uh, you know, the fantastical imagery that other viewers, they seem to be very eager to please. They do. I think they do. But, but, but they're it also seems they're eager to please because they're a gentler spirit than some of the artists who... I mentioned, who are, are more kind of fierce in the, um, either their, I mean, in, in, in Kara Walker, obviously, there's the absolute ferocity of, of an African-American dealing with the Civil War. But in Chris O'Feely, uh, who in a way is, is there's, some, there's a playing of, he, you really get the feeling of him playing the fool, of him uh, hamming it up, of him um, kind of provoking, mm -hmm. um, at the same time as there being uh, really a, a, a deep sort of formal sincerity 
in, in his images. And with her, she's, it seems to me that she's sort of veering apart, uh, carefully veering a path between those two, behaving nicely and not letting it all out, maybe. I mean... Only in that video, the eat, that was pretty uh, incredible thing to watch. I mean, eating the mud. The eat cake video you're talking about? Oh, the, yeah. The, yes, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. there were, I, that wasn't nice. That was. Yes, that was a. a, a, a full power. It was full power. It was full power, but again, it was an, an echo of another artist. I felt Janine Antoni was sort of a bit channeled in that. And the projection on that wooden crate on the floor was not, I think, the best resolved of her work. Um, no. I found I but was really enjoying it. I, I liked her work a lot. I just wondered, you know, what what is what really is going on here. I, the artist I was really thinking about most when I stopped thinking about contemporaries she looked like was uh, Marc Chagall, because it seemed that she's producing, she's protean, she's definitely protean, she's got a very authentic personal language, and there is a synthesis of different cultures within that language. Um, but there is also a, a playing with, rather than critiquing, um, so the expectations that go with uh, specific cultural identity. That was mine. And with specific symbols as well. I'm thinking of the serpent, which is everywhere in those collages. And um, um, I don't know, but I would guess that the serpent has a different um, significance in Kenyan lore, maybe African lore in well, general. Well, the thing about the eaves, the, um, the, the, the eave work, uh, the, uh, um, and there's a Medusa, mother of all leaves or something it's it's well the, the label this one that I did read um, oh. to my loss uh, and it but uh, well it told me that um, it's it's her, um, uh, her her reconstruction of the Eve myth in which Eve is a powerful mother who slays Satan rather than being oh, so it's a serpent symbol that we know mm -hmm. okay. yes yes oh dear yeah just as Chagall's crucifixion is a symbol we know, um, perhaps. Well, my question, my last yeah. question is, can we um, acknowledge or receive the other in art without, in, in work coming from other cultures without it being tied up with some kind of critique notion? Yes, we can, sure. Um, well, can, well, we can, but what we want from art whoever is making it and wherever they're living and whatever their gender or color, we, we want art that's got that tension of being aware of uh, its, its own language and, um, and of, of, of any of the issues that come with the language. It's about, it's about an artist's relationship to language rather than to identity, I would propose. I do think she succeeds in providing a lot of contradictions that you, you come out of there, and I felt very much like Faye that I was torn coming out of there thinking about all these different things and the impossibility of them laying easily together. I think we I think we'll agree on that. If we're, if we're after ambivalence, we get plenty of it. With us. There, there's also, I mean, there's something to be said for, at least I feel there is, there were an awful lot of people there Mm -hmm. um, it was really jam-packed when I was there, and, 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 and it was a real crowd. I mean, you know, people were really um, engaged with the work, um, and, and people from, yeah, the demographic of the Brooklyn Museum, which, you know, there are a lot of African people in that, in, in, in that neighborhood, and 
um, diaspora people, and and I, I feel like there's a it, it's really making a huge appeal, um, and and on a very sophisticated level. So I, mm. I I also liked that about it very much. Yeah, their attempts always haven't been particularly sophisticated um, right. to reach that audience, but but um, this one I agree with you. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I, I like that about yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's great to see, of course. And I my first word is my last word is sumptuous. <laughs> it is sumptuous. <laughs> 